to another girl that was mean, but Nona didn't want to go to some bad place where everybody was mean to each other and slapped each other with fishes. <laughs> think of all the great children's stories, when you think about all the great stories in the Bible, one that comes up over and over again is the story of Jonah. Now, we have used it as a children's story for years, but the truth is the story of Jonah is much more than a children's story. If you've got your Bibles turned to the book of Jonah, and if you've got a bookmark or you've got one of those uh, bookmarks in your Bible like I do, you can place it there because we're going to be in Jonah for several weeks. Today, we're just going to get through the first three verses of Jonah. Now, we won't go that slowly through the rest of the story, but I'll just let you know that the book of Jonah is packed with information that is important for us. As I thought about why Jonah is such an important story or why people like it so much, I think it comes back to the point that Jonah is just a story. And as human beings, we love stories. So the first writing ever seen from human beings are drawings that are literally in caves, and most scholars believe that they are story drawings. Now today, we've got more avenues than ever to explore stories. There's uh, audio books that you can listen to in your car. There are books that you can read. You can go watch a play. You can go watch a movie. You can turn on the television to see a story proclaimed. But in the end, it always comes down to whether or not the story is good. Now, one of the reasons that Jonah has intrigued us is because it's a story. Another reason is, is because there's this little part in the middle of Jonah about Jonah being in the belly of a big fish for three days. And in some ways, that little story, that little part of the story, can tell a lot about what you believe about the rest of Scripture. We're in debate season, right? There was a debate on last night. Republicans and Democrats are both going at it after the Iowa caucuses this week. All of that's happening. But I remember a debate that happened several months ago. And they were going around polling the candidates. It was one of those YouTube debates. I don't know if you saw that, where questions were submitted by video from people from all over the country on a website called YouTube. And one of the people on YouTube raised his Bible to the screen 
and said, do you believe this? Every word, this, not anything else, but this. And what was interesting as they went through the different candidates was to hear their responses, but one particular response was from the former mayor of New York City, Rudolph Giuliani, I'm sure a great man, a man that I have met, have had seen in person, have a picture with in my office. It's not an endorsement. I don't know uh, much about him personally, but I know he said this. He said, I believe that it is a book that contains great wisdom and teaching. But I'm not sure everything in there is literally true. Like, I don't believe Jonah actually was in a whale. Now, what he was saying there is that this story of Jonah is so amazing, so out there, there's no way it could be real. It's supposed to be a moral story. Well, we'll get to whether or not I believe Jonah was in a whale. Well, I'll give it away now. I do. All right? But that's not the main part of this book. If you look at the story of Jonah, Jonah is a four-chapter book. The whale or the big fish or whatever you want to call it, people get caught up on that. Well, it says a big fish. The truth is they described it as something huge. It was big enough to swallow a man. It was big, all right? You and I would not want to live there for very long. But it's much more than a story about that. In fact, if you look at the book of Jonah, the main theme of Jonah is not the big fish. In fact, the big fish is only mentioned four times in three chapters in this book. Well, what is it about? Well, some people would say it's about Nineveh. Nineveh is only mentioned nine times in this book. Well, some people say it's got to be about Jonah. That's who wrote the story. It's about Jonah. Jonah is only mentioned 18 times in this book. Now, here's the amazing thing. In four chapters, around 36 verses, God is mentioned 38 times. You see, the story of Jonah really is God's story, and it is about a God who will pursue us to see His will done. It is a story of God that pursues someone just like you and me, who had struggles, who had a calling, who experienced disobedience, who had problems and went to the Lord in prayer. It is a story of a great God. G. Campbell Morgan once said that men have been looking so long at the great fish that they fail to see in this story the great God. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to ask, what does it mean that God is in pursuit? And today in particular, we're going to talk about running away from God. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship boarded bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, just to give you an idea, Jonah is a contemporary of another prophet named Amos. He lived probably in 800 to 700 B.C. in Israel, and he's mentioned in 2 Kings 14, 25. And in that passage of Scripture, he makes a prediction and that comes true and is beneficial for the country of Israel. And so most people think that Jonah probably would have been a very successful prophet. Now, success then and success now is different, but most people feel that Jonah would have been a successful prophet. And so as we begin this story, it's interesting to me that it immediately singles out the prophet Jonah. 
Now, there's another little bitty interesting part of this story that begins that I think is interesting about the Bible. Several books in the Bible begin with a little word called and. You know that word? A-N-D. Now, generally, and I'm not an English scholar, I'm not a grammar person, but generally and links things together, right? You put something and something together. Well, in the story of Scripture, over and over again, books in the Old Testament especially begin with the word and. That's important because what we understand is that this story is a part of the greater story. But here's what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. First point that I want you to understand today that we need to realize as a people, as somebody that's walking with the Lord, trying to faithfully follow Him, to be passionately devoted to Him, is that if you will listen, He will speak. Now, I borrowed that line from a movie from a few years ago, right? If you build it, they will come. It's just inevitable. In that story field of dreams, the farmer goes out and he hears the voice from the on high, whoever the voice may be. And he says, if you build it, they will come. And so he builds this baseball field. And after going through several other tests, they end the movie with a stream of lights coming. And it was just the inevitability of the fact, if you build it, they will come. Well, let me tell you this about God. If you listen, He will speak. You see, some people think that God doesn't talk like He used to. That God doesn't speak like He used to. And the Scripture doesn't tell us how He spoke to Jonah. I don't know if it was an audible voice. I don't know if it was a dream. I don't know if it was an impression upon His heart. I don't know if He read something somewhere. I don't know how He got the impression. But what I do know is that God spoke to Jonah. And Scripture teaches me that the same God of Jonah is the same God of today. Scripture says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And I believe that if God spoke to the people of the Old Testament, that God will speak to the people today. In fact, and listen to this, He ought to speak to us more. And here's why. In the Old Testament, in order to get to God, they had to go through a whole sacrificial system. And God appointed certain people that He talked to. And Jonah was His prophet, someone He talked to. In the New Testament, Scripture tells us that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we ask Him to come into our lives and to save us, that the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells within us. And so as a result, we don't have to jump through hoops to get to God. God is already a part of our lives. He is with us at all times. He is speaking to us on a constant basis. The problem is not that God is not speaking anymore. The problem is that we aren't hearing anymore. God still speaks. In fact, if you look on your handout, and I think it will be on the screen, there's a passage in Hebrews And in that passage in Hebrews, it talks about the way God used to speak. It said, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Here's what he says. The truth is that God spoke in many ways, in all kinds of ways. If you look in the Old Testament, there are all kinds of ways God speaks. But the final definitive word came in His Son. And the truth is, if we will focus on Him and live our lives listening, God will speak. Let me tell you the best way I know to hear God's voice, and that is to get into His Word and to get into prayer. This week I started a a New Year's resolution, commitment, 
to read through the Bible again this year. And I bought the chronological one-year Bible that sets out the Bible in chronological order for a whole year and just begin to read. And it is amazing to me. I, you, you know, you begin in chronological order in the Bible, guess where you begin? At the beginning, right? Genesis. It's amazing the stories that I have read over and over and over again. Genesis 1 through Genesis 22 where uh, Abraham and his son is called to sacrifice and called to commitment. It's amazing how God will speak to me in the midst of reading his word that I have read many times before. If you will listen, God will speak. I was reminded of the fact that God still talks in a kind of strange way, an unexpected way over the holiday break. Over the holiday break, uh, I went to see a movie with a college and seminary friend, a guy that's still a good friend today, and we went to see a movie called I Am Legend. Now, some of you may have seen it, some of you may not. It's not I'm not giving you my review or anything. I'm just telling you what I saw. It's an interesting movie about a guy that is trying to cure this illness in people, and there's a part where he thinks he is the only person left on earth. And I'm not going to ruin the movie if you want to see it, but there's a point in the middle of the movie when he thinks he's been alone all this time that someone shows up in his life. And while he thinks he's the only person left on earth, suddenly this person comes and he's sitting there talking to him and he's yelling about all that has happened and they're talking about all that's going on and this young lady says to him, God told me to come find you. Now the main character who's played by Will Smith is kind of skeptical of that and blasts her about it and she says, all I know is God gave me some instructions and I turned on the radio and I heard your voice. And then she makes this statement. She said, the world is a lot quieter now. And if you'll just take the time to listen, you'll hear him speak. This is what I thought. Oh, to live in a world that was quieter. The truth is, most of us don't hear God speak because it is too noisy in our lives. Most of us have to have noise on our lives on a constant basis. How many of you have been in a completely quiet room lately and felt uncomfortable? Huh? Last night, Susan and I laid down, go to bed, laid there for a few minutes and realized we hadn't turned the fan on in our room. Now, it wasn't hot in our room, but we had to have some noise. And it was utterly quiet. And we couldn't sleep. All right? Any of anybody there? Am I alone in that? Okay. It's too quiet. I couldn't sleep. And I thought to myself, some of the reason we don't hear God is because it's too noisy. If you listen, He will speak. Let me give you three things about the call that God gave to Jonah in his life here. First of all, you'll notice that this call of Jonah, this God's call on him, is something that is very personal. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now that is a specific person in a specific place at a specific time. It is a real person in a real city. God called for a special task and He calls Jonah. Just like He called Habakkuk, just like He called Amos, just like He called uh, people in the New Testament, Paul and Timothy, just like He called people throughout Scripture, God called Jonah. The truth is that God calls people specifically, personally, today. Now again, we don't know if it was audible, we don't know if it was an impression, we don't know any of that, but we know that the call came to Jonah. 
I can tell you in my life, I remember specifically the day that God called me to himself in salvation. I remember where I was sitting at First Dyersburg. I remember what happened there. I remember the day God called me to the ministry. I can show you the bench if it's still there in Ridgecrest, North Carolina, where God called me to ministry. I remember that. But the truth is, on a regular basis, God calls me to specific things. And he asked me to do specific tasks. And what happened in Jonah, Jonah had been called as a prophet. Jonah had been called in another instance to give a word, and it had happened. And God again comes to Jonah and says, this time I've got something new for you. Here's one thing to understand. God's call on your life may or may not be a lifetime call. Let me tell you this. God has called me to preach. And I believe that that is a call that will last on my entire life. But tomorrow morning, I may wake up and God may bring another call or another direction in my life. And the question at that moment, we're going to talk about obedience in a minute, is not whether or not I listened and responded to God's call ten years ago. It's whether or not I listened and responded to God's call today. And when Jonah gets a personal message from God, it is a specific personal message of calling. Now, he doesn't call everybody to be a preacher. I'm glad. Be a lot of us up here right now if we're all preaching, right? Be a little hard to listen if everybody was up here talking. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul gets on to the people in Corinth, he gets on to them because they all speak too much at one time. He calls different people. He calls people to be lawyers. He calls people to be businessmen. He calls people to be teachers. Uh, I read a book this week in preparation for my Ph.D. studies in May about the greatest leaders in history have been great teachers. He calls some people to be physicians, pharmacists, farmers. He calls people to a variety of things. But the important thing is he calls you personally. Now listen, he doesn't call the equipped either. He doesn't call those that just have the best training or the best understanding. He calls people and then he equips them. As the old saying goes, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Now not only is the call of God personal in the life of people, in the life of Jonah, it is a focused call. Look what he says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Just a little note, adding the son of there makes sure that we understand it was the Jonah, the prophet. So it personally is there more. Verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Now, many of you may know about Nineveh. Some of you may not. There was a, a kid in the story that said that Nineveh was a place where people were mean to each other and they slapped each other with fishes. Well, that is one of those... Uh, extra-biblical things that comes from the great theologians at VeggieTales. No evidence of slapping people with fishes, but it does tell us in Scripture that Nineveh was a great city of wickedness. It was a huge city. A huge city. If you go to Nineveh, or if you were to go to Nineveh, you would be going into modern-day Iraq. It's good to know there's no turmoil there now. It was a large city and one of the leaders of a group of people that really were mean. In general, if you were an outsider and you came to Nineveh and they discovered you were an outsider, they would harm you in some way. 
And so God calls Jonah and he says, here's Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to this major city. It is said that they could, uh, they could put three chariots side by side on the top of the walls of Nineveh. Now think about that. Think about how thick those walls had to be. And so I want you to go to this huge city. And when you get there to this place where nobody is there where that likes the, Gent- or likes the Jews, these Gentiles don't like you as a Jewish person, when you get there, here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach... What's the word? Against. I want you to preach against it. Now here's what God was calling Jonah to do. He was calling to walk up and down the streets and tell people how bad they were in a place where if you were an outsider, they would immediately harm you. That sounds like a great commission to me. And here's something else to understand. God doesn't always call us to the easy stuff. The first mention I I made of Jonah is that it tells us in the earlier Old Testament that Jonah prophesied something very beneficial to the Israelite people and it came true and the Israelites glorified God. What God said is, Jonah, in the first time, I want you to go out there and I want you to tell the people exactly what they want to hear and I want you to tell them that God's going to do it and they're going to make you a champion. That's the kind of message I like. The second time he calls him to a hard place in a hard city with hard people and tells him to preach against it. But it was a focused call. Sometimes in life when God tells us to do something, we like to kind of meander in that zone of unknowing. We like to kind of sit for a while in that place of feeling like that, that maybe God hasn't directed the call yet. He hasn't pointed it yet. It's not, not really there yet. But the truth is when he calls... God is usually very focused. Here's the third thing that we understand is not only is the call personal, not only is it focused, but it is purposeful. Look what it says there. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now here's what God wanted him to do. He wanted him to go into that city and he wanted to tell them how wicked they were with the hopes that they would turn back to God. Now that goes against what Jonah thinks ought to happen, and we'll see that in just a moment. Because according to Jonah, the way God blessed the Israelites was one, he gave them all that they needed, and two, he caused their enemies to have problems. And so we see that this personal focus call has a purpose behind it that Jonah understood. It was this idea that you are called to bring people to me. Let me tell you this. I don't know what God's call is on your life specifically. I don't know the focus direction that he's going to have it. But I can almost guarantee you the purpose that will be there. It will either build up his church or it will be to spread his word to those who haven't heard. His purpose for your calling is either to build up the church of God, the church in general and this church in specific, Or it is to go outside of these walls and to bring people into the family of God. And more likely than not, it is both at the same time. And so if you're called to be a lawyer, while God has called you to do that and to do that in a way that has integrity, the real reason that you're a lawyer is not just to get cases won or to get cases settled. The real reason you're a lawyer is to help to build up His church and to bring people to faith in Christ. If God called you to be a teacher, your real purpose for being a teacher is not 
just to follow all the standards that are set forth by the state and the nation. It's not just to get children to read or to a certain achievement status. While those things are important, your purpose as a teacher is to build up the church and to bring people to faith in Christ. Whatever God's call on your life is, it will always come back to this. And Jonah knew that God was calling him to go to a hard place to say hard things to a people that God might bring to salvation. The first thing we see in this passage is if you listen, he will speak. Here's the second thing. Obedience is a choice. The beginning of chapter 3 or excuse me, a verse 3, has one of those real tiny words that makes a huge difference in life. Right? What's the word there? What's the word? But. You get all of this. God calls him. God gives him the specific details. God said, this is what you're going to do. Verse 3 starts, and in most Bible stories you think it says, Jonah immediately responded. Jonah went immediately. But verse 3 tells us, but Jonah. And we see real quickly that obedience is a choice. Jonah takes God's call. He thinks about it for a minute. He looks over it for a second. He calculates all the things out and he says to himself, you know what, it's just not worth it. I am not going to obey. Now it's real easy to get on to Jonah in this story and talk about him and see all the consequences are there. But I ask myself the question, how many times in life have I known I'm supposed to do something and I don't? As I've already mentioned, in the short time that I've been your pastor, Scripture is very clear on the fact that sin is not just doing the things we ought not to do. Sin is also not doing the things we ought. And Jonah was sinning here not because he did something terribly wrong in the fact that he did something he shouldn't. What Jonah was really sinning here is that he was denying the Lord's call and not doing what he was supposed to. Look what it says. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Now, I just want you to know real quickly, that's one of those statements that really doesn't make sense. Because as David talks about in Psalm 139, that if he goes to the highest mountain, God is there. If he goes to the lowest of lows, God is there. If he goes to heaven, God is there. If he goes to Sheol, if he goes to Hades, if he goes to hell, God knows he's there. And so there's no way to run away from God. When Adam commits sin in the garden and he and Eve are out there and he puts on the garments and it says that they hid and God comes and says, why are you hiding? And he says, because we heard you in the garden and we were afraid. God didn't ask him where he was because he lost him on his God positioning locator. Right? God didn't need a GPS system to find him. God was giving him a chance to say where he was. Jonah, as much as he would like to, could not run away from God. But I want you to notice something. He tries. And there are some of you in this room that are still trying. God's placed some kind of call on your life, whatever it is. And you're still trying to run away. I want you to see three things about what happens in Jonah's choice. First of all, Jonah's choice was deliberate. It says Jonah ran away from the Lord. A good translation of that is Jonah decided to run away from the Lord. 
It was a deliberate decision. It wasn't a fly-by-the-night kind of thing. It wasn't a spontaneous decision. It was a deliberate decision. It was calculating it out. It was thinking about it. Scripture says that Jonah decided to run away from the Lord, and it says that he decides to do that. He goes down to Joppa. Now, Joppa was a port. It was a place. He could have easily called a ship to Nineveh. And so he probably thought to himself, see, what's going to happen is I'm going to go down there. And on my way down there, God's going to think I'm going to Nineveh. But when I get down there, I'm going to jump on the opposite ship and I'll fool him. I'll trick him and go the opposite direction. It was a deliberate decision. If you read the Scripture, what it says is that he set off on a trip for Tarshish. Now, I know that many of you here don't know where Tarshish is. I don't know where Tarshish is most of the time. But when you prepare sermons, you kind of have to look that kind of stuff up. And Tarshish is about as far away from Nineveh as you could get in their known world. Tarshish was over near Europe somewhere. If you know anything about geography, you know that you get on the boat and to go to Iraq, you go that way. To go to Europe, you go that way. And he was going to get on a Mediterranean cruise and get as far away as he could from Nineveh. He didn't just decide to sit in his house. His deliberate choice was to get as far away as he could. Now I want you to notice not only is rebellion deliberate, but Jonah's rebellion is continuous. He makes several decisions. It says that he goes down to Joppa. He finds a ship. And he pays the fare, then he gets on board, and he sails. I just want you to realize, at any of those five moments, he could have decided to follow the Lord, right? He could have decided not to go down to find that ship. He could have decided not to pay the fare. He could have decided not to go aboard. He could have decided not to get on that ship to Tarshish. And he could have decided that once the ship got on board and he settled down, he could have thought, I can't do this, i got to get off. But at every step of the way, he rebelled. Here's something that's interesting, too. Jonah probably told himself that circumstances were leading him to go that direction. Because he goes down to Joppa, and he just so happens to find a boat going the opposite direction. And he goes down to Joppa, and he gets there, and the boat just happens to be going in that direction, and he just happens to have the money for the fare. And they just happen to be leaving quickly. They just happen to have a spot open for him. He just happens to have circumstances line up to get on that boat to Tarshish. Let me tell you one of the most dangerous things in your life is determining that circumstances are telling you what God's will is. Because you see, anytime you want to sail away from God, the enemy will provide a ship. That's why I get so bent out of shape sometimes when I listen to these people that say everything happens for a reason. Now, I understand what's behind that, but the truth is that there are two conflicting forces in our world. And God has a purpose and a plan, but sometimes we give in to the circumstances and plan of the enemy. And that doesn't happen for God's reason. It happens for the enemy's reason. And when Jonah gets down to the port, the boat wasn't there because God wanted the boat to be there. That was a choice, and you could say God allowed it, that's true. But the enemy provided a boat for Jonah to get away from God's plan. And if you want to run away from God's plan, you'll find it easier than doing God's plan. But here's the third thing. It's expensive. 
it is deliberate in the Old Testament when it says, Jonah paid the fare. Here's the reality, and I don't mean this monetarily, but it's it, sometimes it works out that way, sometimes it doesn't. But the truth is, when you follow God's direction, He prepares the way and protects you, and He pays the ultimate price. When you decide to go it on your own, you're all about yourself. It's your own way you're paying. In that debate last night on one of the networks, I don't even know what network it was on, I just saw a short bit of it. They had a whole discussion about health care. And one of the candidates said that, and I don't even remember which one it was, but was talking about his health care plan and how some people were mandated to have health care and, and all of that kind of stuff. But one of the things he said is, I believe that people that choose not to have health care ought to pay when they have medical expenses. And I was thinking about that, and when you're a preacher, your mind is on your sermon 24 hours a day and from the moment you decide to start preaching on it. And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know, the truth is that God basically says to us, whenever you decide to go against my own will, you get to pay your own way. It's expensive. Now here's the thing that I want you to, to understand before we move on to the final point. Today may be a very important day in your life. Because there may be some of you that have been running this route of Jonah, and maybe you're in step three of five steps of rebellion. Maybe you're going down that path where you know God's called you into something, to do something or not to do something, and you're on your way, and you are already getting ready to put your foot on that boat to sail the opposite direction. And today is an opportunity for you to turn around and say, God, I realize I'm going along the wrong way, the way that I'm not supposed to be going, and today I want to stop. For some of you, you're on the boat and you're headed out. For some of you, you're making an initial decision to go the opposite way. Here's what I want you to understand. The longer you're in rebellion, the more difficult it is to return. The longer you're in rebellion, the more difficult it is to return. Now, in the weeks ahead, we're going to find that Jonah returns, right? This means yes, no, right? We're going to find that Jonah comes back to the Lord and praise the Lord for that. But I would say that most of us in this room would not like for the way that we come back to the Lord to be through a violent storm that scares sailors, through being thrown into the open ocean, digested by a big fish, spit out on the dry land. Anybody want to do that? It wasn't an easy return. And the longer you're in rebellion, the more difficult it is to return. The truth is that on a continuous basis, we have to watch ourselves from a downward digression. Uh, over the holidays, I told you when I went to a Titans game, and uh, somebody here in the church let me have their tickets, and I went to a Titans game on the 23rd with my dad, and, and on that way, I, I put on this jacket. It's an old ski jacket someone gave me, and on the tags are, are, are you know are some ski tags. I've been skiing once in my life. That's it. And it was the only date I've been skiing, and it's kind of neat. I leave it on there because it's two three ninety seven. In case you don't realize that February third is my birthday. I don't know. I think I mentioned that last week. But it says two three ninety seven, and so that means. Almost 11 years ago, Susan and I and some others from Union went skiing at a place called Paoli Peaks. 
up in Indiana. And what I remember about that day is that it was a pretty good day. I got there. I got the skis on. I felt good. I looked good. I know I did. I had all my ski stuff on. And I got ready. We had just finished the winter term at Union. We had a few days off before the spring term. And so we got on the bunny slopes. And I prefer not to call them bunny slopes. I prefer to call them beginner slopes because it sounds more manly than bunny slopes. And I got on those slopes and I went down gently little bit by little bit. Well, about mid-afternoon, Susan, who we were not engaged at the time, but we were very good friends and uh, dating, and she thought it was time for me to advance in my skiing skills. Mainly because nobody else wanted to go with her on a blue slope. Now, blue slopes, I think, are not that bad. It's been 11 years, but they're not that bad, but they're, they're harder than the beginner slopes. And I'll never forget that we got on the lift and I was still trying to impress her a whole lot, and so I was going to be brave and go down. We got to the top, and we stood over the edge, and we began to ski down, and Susan just took off. And I didn't. They had told me that if you kind of turn your skis to the side, you go a little slower and go sideways. So I was basically just kind of snaking my way down, waiting to get to the part where it dropped off. Well, apparently I made a mistake. And in my mistake, the next thing I knew is that I was halfway down the mountain and my skis were still on top of the mountain. (laughs) And I realized that just a couple of simple miscalculations or misjudgments had caused a serious downward fall. And I say that to say this. There are some of you going back and forth on the top of the mountain. And when you begin to head down that way, if you start to head in a direction opposite of God, a a slight miscalculation, a slight misjudgment can leave you at the bottom of the hill with your skis at the top. The longer the rebellion lasts, the more difficult it is to return. Here's a third thing that we see in this passage. Oh, that is an amazing thing. God is relentless in pursuit. Here's the reality. If I had been God in this story, this story wouldn't have lasted much past verse 3. Because when Jonah went the opposite direction, you know what I would have said? Good for him. Let him see what that's like. Let him take care of that on his own. I'll accomplish my task through somebody else. But this is what I love about God. God never gives up on us. I mean, Jonah made a deliberate, continuous decision to go in the opposite direction of what God called him to do. And yet, God says, he is so important to me, his ministry is so important to me, this message is so important to me, I am going to track him down in the middle of the open sea because I care about him that much. And so God sends a storm, and we're going to talk next week about all that happens there. We'll we'll get into all the details of the storm. But I want you to see here that what happens is that God doesn't give up on Jonah. He is relentless in his pursuit. Now, for many of us, that is great news. Sometimes it's not. Because there are some times in your life, whenever you're involved in a sin that is continuous, whenever you're involved in something that you know you shouldn't be, whenever you're rejecting God's plan on your life, whenever you're going in the opposite direction, there are some times in your life when you just say, God, I wish you'd leave me alone. But here's the truth. If you're a child of His, He won't. And the truth is that God cares for each and every person on this planet so much 
that He is constantly pursuing them. Sometimes people get upset with the whole idea that people talk about they found Jesus. I found Jesus, and somebody says, I never knew He was lost. The truth is, the reason that I don't mind that term is because God is always there looking. It's just when we finally come to the realization that He's there that we find what we're looking for. So that doesn't bother me. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you may or may not be agreeing with God on or disobeying God. I don't know where you are in God's call in your life and your obedience. And like I said, God's call. Sometimes we say God's call. Let me just say this and make it clear. Sometimes we say God's call and everybody thinks that I'm saying that you've got to be called to preach. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is whatever God's called you to do, are you obeying? For some of you in this room this morning, what that means is you have listened for a long time and you've never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. You, you know that God is calling to you to Himself. He's asking you to give up some things. He's asking you to accept Him as Savior. And this morning, you've been running and running and running, but it is time that you surrender. For some of you this morning, you're followers of Jesus. You're, you're part of His, his uh, family. You've accepted Him as Savior, but you have been going the opposite direction of what He wants for a long time. And this morning, what it means is it's time for you to stop and surrender. In the weeks ahead, we're going to get the opportunity to flesh out what it means that, that God still pursues us, that God still gives us a second chance. We're going to, to flesh out of what it means that God's plans are brighter than our plans. But for this morning, the question is, are you following God's call on your life? Maybe you're here this morning, and in the moment we're going to have a time of invitation. You need to come and make a public decision. Maybe you need to come and just admit to me or pray here at this altar and say, God, I don't have a clue what your plan is for my life, but I want to know. Maybe this morning your whole purpose for being here is to hear that phrase, if you listen, he will speak. But maybe this morning you know what God's calling you to do, and it's time to do it. Let's pray together.